So I am um, exploding with vision for what God wants to do here. I spent the first month being on staff pouring over the prophetic words that God has spoken over this church. And almost every one of them have to do with the next generation, about raising up the next generation. And so I am just filled with this excitement and this um, anticipation for what God wants to do. I mean, I see, I see this generation um, of gods who, uh, or of, chil- of kids who will love God with their whole heart their whole heart. I see them bold and sharing about who he is. I see them celebrating holiness. I see them thriving in relationships. I see them operating in the gifts of the Spirit. I see them being discipled from elementary all the way up. I see them discipling others. I see them healing the sick at school. I see them praying prayers of deliverance, worshiping with their whole hearts, going globally. I see them starting businesses. I see them inventing and revolutionizing technology, writing books, innovating the arts, designing cars, all of these things. That is all part of what God has called us to do, to raise up the next generation to go and change the world. And I am not sure if you know this whole phenomenon of Generation Z. And, um, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it, but, um, but just for a second, Generation Z is from about 20 years old and younger. So if you have children right now, you have children in Generation Z. It's not millennials anymore. That's, it's Generation Z. And they are the largest generation that's ever been on the earth, more than baby boomers. The largest, yes, they are the largest generation. And they are the greatest experiment that's ever been in the history of mankind. They're the way that um, technology has advanced and the way that life and society is, we don't have proof as to whether or not, I'm spitting, we don't have proof as to whether or not the way we parent this generation is going to be okay when they're older. You know, we think about, and I'll talk more about this later, but, you know, we're handing three-year-olds tablets. We're handing 11-year-olds cell phones, things like that. We don't know how that's going to play out, just so you know. And there's technology. There are things about Generation Z that's way different, like waiting for information is something they have never had to do, ever. Waiting for anything. But if you want to know how many species of frogs there are, how fast can somebody do it? as fast as you can type it into your phone. If we wanted to know that, the Generation Xers, if we wanted to know that, we had to go to the library. There was no, so it's different. And it's not that it's bad, it's just different. And we don't know how to parent this generation. We don't know how to minister to this generation because it's different. We can't use the same tricks that we've always used. We can't use the same things that we've always done. We've got to just do it different and realize that this is a new and different generation. So, um, in saying that, we as a church body have to be willing to shift and change with what God is wanting to do. We as parents have to be willing to shift and change to do what God wants to do to parent this next generation. Because there's something else that I want you to know is that in this generation, there are more of the none category, like none as in N-O-N-E, as in no religion, 
there's more in the Generation Z than any other. See, before the baby boomers or the um, Generation X, they would at least say, oh, well, I was raised Baptist, so I'm a Christian. You know, there are more um, atheist nuns, the nun category in this generation than ever. Yeah, and I want to do way more equipping, and this is part of my plan, is to equip parents and to equip this church on how to, on all the differences in this generation. What, what is the difference? You know, they, they're not like millennials. Generation Z is not like millennials. You know, everybody gives the millennials a hard time about being, you know, what is the one thing that they say about millennials? I'm, yeah, self-centered or uh, uh, lazy. They say that about millennials, whatever. I don't, I don't think that, but... Um, but Generation Z is not that way. They're not. They're motivated. They're innovators. They're inventors. They're social justice warriors. I mean, they are, this is a whole new generation that we just don't even know. We just don't even know. So, um, so how many of you in this place, I'm going to ask for some interaction here. How many of you in this place believe the prophetic words that, that we are called to the next generation? How many of you absolutely believe it? Okay. Good. How many of you want to reach this city? Okay. All right. So that's really good. Now, how many of you are content with our church staying this size? Okay. That's a little bit like, woo. You know, and you know, do you know that there are some, sometimes we have this mentality. I don't, I don't think we consciously think the thought. We just think, it's good enough. It works. It's okay. Um, but that's really not what God's called us to. God has called us to grow, to reach our city, to impact an entire generation. And, and in order to do that, we have to expand our capacity here at this church. We have to expand our capacity as parents, as as. Um, ministers of the gospel, as children's ministry leaders, all of that. We've got to be able to do things different and think differently. So um, so there are some changes that are going to be coming up in order to make room for um, what God is going to do. There's going to be, um, you know, we've got youth ministry in transition. That's a change separate than that, but there are going to be some changes in the way the ages are divided in the elementary ages. There's going to be changes in how people are vetted to serve in children's ministry, um, the process of how that happens. Um, Tom has some things up his sleeve about getting out of the four walls of the church. And um, so they're just, you're just going to notice that there are just going to be some things, some changes that are going to be happening. And the first thing that you are going to want to ask yourself is how well do I navigate change? So when change comes, am I filled with anxiety-driven thoughts such as, uh, well, what was wrong with the way we were doing it? Or why didn't they ask me what I thought? Or this is so dumb. They haven't thought of this or this or this. Or, I can't follow that leader. She's too perky. <laughs> Nobody's that perky. I know what you guys say about me. 
So sometimes change is a big deal. Change is something that, you know, especially for an S personality, how many of you guys are familiar with the DISC personality profile? S personalities don't like change simply because um, there's this correlation with if you're changing it, it must mean that it was bad before, right? There must be something wrong with what you were doing, and now that's why you have to change it. And, and so let me just speak to that for a minute because I am not an S personality and I change just because like I love change because you know, nothing wrong with it, but I just, woo, need some refreshing, need something different. But um, so, so I just wanna explain to you as we're going through these changes and when we're doing little shifts and change, I want you to know it's not because we were doing it wrong. It's not, we weren't doing it wrong. It's because uh, God's ready to do something different. That's it. It's just time to change. It's just time to shift. It's time to move into just a different season that God's moving us into. So, I think I turned this off, and I didn't mean to. Okay, so as we as a church are going to go through this process of figuring out what is God's will for this church, what is God's will for children's ministry, what is God's will for my family, um, then we need, to go to, we need to look into the word about what is, how do you find out what God's will is. And we'll start with Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. <clears throat> Excuse me. We do want to know the, God's perfect will for this house, this region, the next generation. We can't do it like everybody else is doing it. And we need to know how to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. So the next scripture that comes to mind is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So if we want our paths directed, I'm not using this. If we want our paths directed, we have to acknowledge him. Isn't there a pointer? Ah, yes. Okay, yes. Then we're going to need to acknowledge him. That word, oh, sorry. That word acknowledge means to know and to be known. I looked it up because that was interesting to me. It jumped off the page. As we, as we try to go and we say, okay, God, um, I want you to direct my path. I want, you, I want you to direct my steps. But in order to do that, I've got to acknowledge you. Okay, what does it mean to acknowledge the Lord? And that word acknowledge means to know and to be known, which means I've got to go, okay, God, what is your will for this? What does the fear of the Lord look like in this situation? What does it look like? That's, that's where you go, I want to know God. I want to know what he says about this, is that. And then it says to be known. Okay, so what does that mean, to be known? Okay, how many of you guys are like, ooh, I know what God wants me to do, but doing that thing that God wants me to do makes me feel afraid, makes me not want to do it, makes me, it basically fear is that main thing that pops up inside of us. 
And so there are so many times when we know what God's telling us to do. We do. We know what God's telling us to do, but then we go, "Mm, doing that's too hard. That's too hard to do it God's way. And that's the part of, of being known when you're acknowledging God. In Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. So we've got to be willing to look inside of our hearts and we've got to be willing to check to see if there's something inside of me that is keeping me from doing God's will in my life. When it comes to parenting, when it comes to anything, basically today I'm talking to parents, ministry leaders, you know, churches, a family, but you can use this for any, you know, area of your life. So one of the most common strongholds that keep us out of the fear of the Lord in general is the belief that we are powerless. And Danny Silk has a lot to say about that. This is actually, this message today, by the way, is like this leftover soup of all these different, I'm pulling from Tom, from Eric, from Danny Silk, from Steve Backland. We'll get into that in a little bit. So um, it's just this big leftover dump fest. Okay, so um, So here we go. I'm going to actually read from my notes (laughs) because I like to touch things when I read them. Okay, so Danny Silk's book says, Powerful people take responsibility for their lives and choices. Powerful people choose who they want to be with, what they are going to pursue in life, and how they are going to go after it. Unfortunately, most of us did not grow up to be powerful people. If you are blessed to have parents who taught you to be responsible for your choices, then you should go home and thank them. It's a rare gift. Most people don't know that they can be powerful or even that they ought to be. They are trained from a young age that someone else is responsible for their decisions and all they have to do is comply and obey. This sets them up to struggle in multiple aspects aspects of life, particularly with building healthy relationships. Often the first thing that reveals a powerless mindset is powerless language. Frequent use of the phrase, I can't, and I have to, is a hallmark of a powerless person. I can't do that, it's too hard. I have to clean the kitchen. I have to go to school. I have to spend time with so-and-so. All of these statements say I feel powerless to take responsibility for my actions, so I will say that someone or something else is making me do it. Powerless people also throw in an I'll try to absolve them if they do not come through on a commitment or a promise. Just imagine standing in front of the preacher on your wedding day saying, I'll try. This language is rooted in powerlessness and in the belief that you don't have power to manage yourself. The defining driving force of a powerless person is anxiety. Life is scary when you are powerless. When you live in a world where you believe most things and most people are more powerful than you, it's scary to feel your life is out of control. Now, Some of you may or may not have identified yourself in that. But we're going to go on. So we're going to talk today about powerless mindsets. And a powerless mindset can influence, like we talked about before, how well you navigate change. It's going to influence what kind of spouse, parent, employee, or friend you're going to be. It's going to influence the way we serve and participate in our church family. And it's also going to influence the expectations we have from the church about how the church is to serve my family. 
so it's going to be fun. Okay, so, um, so 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-control, or a sound mind. So a powerless mindsets are rooted in fear. So basically, we can, we can just say that any decision made out of fear is obeying a powerless mindset. It's a powerless thought. So I have compiled a list of powerless thoughts that you may or may not have thought before, and it's fine if you didn't. Um, but uh, like I said, I'm speaking to children's ministry workers. I'm speaking to parents, um, things like that. This is the type of powerless mindset we're going to talk about. And who has heard of Steve Backlund? How many of you guys, okay, so who has um, seen the messages where he does this thing of let's just laugh at that? He'll name a lie and then you, you laugh at it because um, the purpose is to just be like, oh, that's ridiculous that I believe that. And so um, we're actually, um, I've had this message on my heart for a long time and I wasn't sure how I was going to bring it without it sounding like I was judging when I'm really not because I think these thoughts too. So anyway, this is how we're going to do it is we're going to, I'm going to make the statement and then we're just going to laugh at it, okay? Because we're all going to be like, <laughs> and what's going to happen is, is that this is going to be a knowing laughter. It's going to be like, <laughs> I totally do that. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> and then what's going to happen after the knowing laughter is you're going to, um, you guys ever heard of Brene Brown? You know that wash of shame that, that happens? Okay, if you don't know what that is, do you know that burning feeling when all of a sudden you know that like you've done something wrong? You know what I'm talking about? You can feel it physically. That's going to happen too. And um, you're probably going to get really irritated at me, and I'm glad we don't have tomatoes or anything, but just keep this in mind. Okay, keep this in mind as I go through this. Is I'm making light of this, and I'm joking about it, but I am not kidding you. I, I'm going to I probably have thought every thought that is on this. So I'm not picking on you. I'm just revealing some powerless mindsets and powerless thoughts that we have that keep us from being in God's will. That if you have these thoughts, then that means they need renewed. They need, um, we need God to breathe on them, to speak on them so that we can become powerful people. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> this one. I have to serve in children's ministry this weekend, and I'm so frustrated. It's just like babysitting, and I'm making zero impact on anyone. <laughs> All right, we've thought that thought, haven't we? We're like, oh, I got to be in gummies. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> Sometimes we think that children's ministry is like the B team, right? We're like, Ugh. They're just, they don't even hear me. It's not even, there's no point. And, and especially, and I can see this like in the bounce house, you know, because you're in there for like two hours and that buzzing sound and there's no windows. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, like that sends me into sensory overload and like makes me want to freak out. So I totally get it. Why? But can I cast some vision for the bounce house workers in here? Let me just tell you something, bounce house workers, what you're doing. So did you know <clears throat> that, that Camp Grizzly, which is our elementary area, that it's split into age groups now, um, and that, you know, half the, half the time, half the class is in the bounce house and the other class is in there, and then they switch. But did you know that that bounce house is actually helping them learn? 
Did you know that? And I only learned this because of Truman and all his sensory, you know, quirks, is that that jumping and the impact that it's making on the brain and all the joints and all those things, that it actually helps the connectors in the brain for them to learn and retain information. And so the exercise that they're getting before the word and after the word is actually helping them for the word of God to stay in their heart longer. How's that for a vision? How's that for a purpose? Saying, I am making a difference. I am making sure that this sticks in their brain and goes from their left brain to their right brain into their long-term memory. Yes. Okay, so is that helpful? Does that help you? Does that give you a little pep talk that you're now going to work in the bounce house? Okay. All right. So let's go to the next one. I can't do children's ministry. I don't have the patience or the personality for it. I'll just let that one speak for itself. I can't work with teens. Their drama drives me crazy. Or you could say something like, I can't work with teens because I'm not cool enough. Listen, I'm just letting you know that this powerless mindset probably comes from your own trauma in your teen years. And if you can't imagine working with teens, it's probably because you need to sign up for some emotional healing and deal with your past. (laughs) Because they're actually a really, really great group of people that are amazing and they are awesome. Okay. Ooh, ooh, this one's going to sting. Are you ready? Like, get your shield up. I'm a volunteer, so I can't be held accountable for my actions. Yeah, that's a thing. Are we mad? Don't get mad. Okay. All right. So, anyway, I don't have to say a whole lot about that, but really, guys, you know, and I know we are volunteers, but you work for God. You work for God. And, um... And your yes is yes, and your no is no. That just is what it is. Okay. Now, so that was, uh, before, I probably should have told you this. That would be powerless thoughts, we think, when it comes to working in children's ministry. Okay, so now these next two uh, lies or powerless mindsets are if, um, as a parent, a powerless mindset that I would have about my expectation of the church. Okay? So that's the, I'm setting the stage here. It's the church's responsibility to make sure that my kids know the Bible and live godly lives. And if they fail, it's your fault. Okay, so now, and, and it's fun. Oh, laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. Now, and we say, and logically, when it's up there, we go, we go, I don't believe that way. Of course, I don't believe that way. But really, when you're going through a trial and your child is on a meltdown, it's easy. We don't like that feeling. And we go, how can this not be my fault? Boom, it's your fault because you didn't reach out. You didn't teach them enough. You didn't equip them enough. You're not doing this. You're not doing your job as a whatever, children's minister. Okay, but that is, but, but I'm talking about language here. I'm not saying that somebody didn't fail your person, your child, or whatever, but I'm saying it's this powerless mindset. It's the, it's the powerless thoughts. It's the language of it. It's your job, not my job. That's what I'm trying to reveal. Next one. <clears throat> it's the church's responsibility to create amazing programs so that my kids will never complain or push back when I ask them to attend. 
I think sometimes as parents, we get so tired of our kids' attitudes that we again go, it's on you. You need to make it fun. You need to make it amazing. You need to make it dynamic. You need to make them want to go because I can't take their complaining. And, um, and, and again, the church does have responsibility. So don't, don't let me, I'm, please don't hear me say that we don't have a responsibility to do anything. We do. Um, we, I, I'm the kind of person that likes to, like when, I keep pressing buttons and I'm sorry. Um, when things are all gray and it's meshed together, you know, I like to separate things and go, okay, this is the black side, this is the white side, just for the purpose of organization. And so, um, so when it comes to your kids being equipped in the word and your kids attending, you know, things like that, like, obviously, that's both. You've got to work together. You know, you've got to take the one side and the other side, and we've got to mesh it together. And the church does have a responsibility. Um, we have a responsibility to equip you as parents to equip your children. We have the responsibility to create space for community and belonging. We have a responsibility to teach sound doctrine that reinforces what you're already doing at home. And hopefully you're reinforcing what's happening here. So there is this meshing. Okay, so now we're going to talk about uh, parenting lies or parenting powerless thoughts that we have when it comes to parenting. And... Are you ready? I'm not ready. Okay. <clears throat> I can't leave my baby in the nursery on Sunday mornings because she doesn't like it in there. I have to keep her with me, and it's almost pointless to come to church. Ha, 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 Okay, listen. Okay, so I have to, I have to, I have to, I, I need to repent. I paved the way for attachment parenting. And I pioneered it, okay? I don't know if you guys realize this, but eight years ago, I had a home birth, and I had a midwife, and I, had, I did attachment parenting. Dr. Sears was my man. I was anti-vax. I would sleep in my bed. I was always with me, baby-wearing. Like, this was me. This was, I was, and I was first. I did it first. I paved the way. I brought it here. And I just want you to know that you can do that all day long, all day long, all day long, all day long. But you need, need, need two hours a week where your baby is not stuck on you. You need it. I'm telling you, let me help you. Please. And listen, you've got to do it before they know, okay? You got to get them used to it before they figure out, oh, wait a minute, I'm not happy here. Because it's like, you keep your baby in the sanctuary for the first couple of months and everything's fine and everything's great. And that's fine. I think that's totally appropriate. But then there becomes one moment in time where all of a sudden it's not okay. Like, it was okay last week, this week it's not okay. And they hate it. And they're wiggling and they want to move. And they're like, and it happens about four months, okay? They're like, all of a sudden, bad babies. Bad babies are four months old. <laughs> And then we go, oh, shoot, now I need to put him in the nursery at four months. And I'm, listen, wait. Do it at like three. <laughs> because they're used to it, okay? And then, you know, then by the time they're four months and they're bad babies, they're already used to it in there. Okay, now, all the word police, I break any word curses that I've spoken over. But let me just, let me just help you. 
You need this. Because I'm telling you, I did all that attachment parenting, all that stuff. But when, when my uh, eight-year-old now was about six months old, because um, I did the whole baby wearing, afraid to send her to the nursery thing. And, um, whew, but before that, man, I was a worshiper. Guys, I was like nine months pregnant, and I was down here getting it, worshiping. People thought that baby was going to fall out of me. And, um, and then I was like, and then all of a sudden, you can't be fully engaged when you have a baby. You just can't. And, and so anyway, so I, I just, I needed to publicly say, let me help you. Let me help you. The Lord told me, he said, at, when, when she was six months old, the Lord said, you drop that baby in the nursery and you don't come back for two hours. Don't even check on her. Amen. And I was not allowed. I did. I dropped and went. I went, I don't care what you're going to do with her. She's going to cry the whole two hours. I'll see you. Have fun. <laughs> and she did. And I praise the Lord that somebody dealt with her. And I was smarter with Truman. Two months. See ya. Drop and go. He didn't even get a chance to figure out that it wasn't okay. Because I need this time. I need it. Okay. All right. Here we go. Woo! Moving on. Okay. <clears throat> that love and logic and that Danny Silk parenting stuff just doesn't work for my family. Ha, 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 ha. Listen, guys, our church is trying to give you some really great tools. They're out there. I promise you it works if you want to raise a child that's powerful and not one that just obeys, because this is what we're talking about here. So powerless mindset comes from your parenting. It's because somebody told you what to do all the time, and you never learn from your mistakes. So you constantly think, I have to. I, 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 yeah, it's just this, I have to. I have to go to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. And not understanding that, you know what, I, I actually have a choice. I choose to go to work, and I do it willingly, not because I have to. It's because I choose to. And it's just this, it's a little bit of a tweak in, in how we think about things, but it, it matters. So anyway, okay. I don't have the time or the energy to manage my teen's cell phone but hopefully he's making good decisions with it. <laughs> Y'all, listen. <clears throat> this is one of those things that generations uh, away from us are going to look back and go, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? It, it is absolutely, it, because like I said, Generation Z, it's this experiment. It's just this experiment. And we go, oh, here, yeah, 11 years old. Take your phone. Yep, go to bed with it. No. Oh, they need it for an alarm clock. They don't know how to use an alarm clock. It's fine. And I'm telling you, listen, it's going to be one of those things in generations later that they're going to go, what? Like, remember in the 70s when kids roamed the earth, like, everywhere? Okay. Okay, my husband grew up in Hollywood Beach, Florida. Uh, bigger than Muncie, okay, and he was eight years old on a skateboard, all over, all over the city, all over the city, <clears throat> and it was just normal. Now, maybe he had more freedom than other people. I'm not sure, but eight years old on a skateboard all over the city. That same city, Hollywood Beach, Florida, is where Adam Walsh was abducted from his Sears. Do you guys remember that? Adam Walsh, John Walsh was the guy who started America's Most Wanted and all those things, so in the 80s is when America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, all these things start coming on the TV, and everybody realizes, oh my goodness, 
It's dangerous to let my child roam 15 miles across the city at eight years old unattended. What? It's dangerous? I didn't know that. But yes. And so now we look back and we go, what were you thinking? It never even occurred to you that something would happen? I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen with this whole cell phone thing. We are going to look back in 30 years and that generation is going to go, Generation Z, they're not going to do that to their kids. They know what they're doing with their cell phone. And they're going to go, nope, you aren't getting it until you're 17, whatever. I'm just saying, I'm just saying I've had to, because I I thought this thought, I thought this thought, oh, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and hope for the best, hope it's going well. Well, I can't put restrictions on my child's phone now because that would be unfair. I already, like, gave it to them, and I can't take it back. (laughs) <laughs> we're laughing, remember, we're all laughing. Yes. So uh, here's what I will tell you, is that that might be unfair, but I want you to know that it's a whole lot better than having to look at your child when they're an adult and they have a horrific pornography addiction and you have to say, I'm sorry that I didn't protect you better. Please forgive me for, not, for handing you a device that would give you instant gratification and an instant addiction to pornography without even checking. You don't want to have that conversation. You just don't. Okay. Painful. Okay. It was hard enough to get my teen to church. I'm not going to push it and ask her to stay off her phone during the service. So I'm just going to hope that she learns by osmosis. Ha, 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 We're going to laugh at that. So sometimes I think as parents, we think there's just this like, it's just this powerless thought. We're like, because our teens, they push back. They push back. That's their job is to push back. And we think, oh, it's fine. At least I got them in the door. It's fine. They can just sit there and play on their, play on their games on their phone the whole day. And, and there's not this, this, uh, thing of fear of the Lord. There's, there, there's a fear of the Lord. There's, a, there's a, um, a reverence to God. So keep the phones put away back there. <clears throat> it's not fair to my child if I enforce a standard of faithful church and youth group attendance. That's a violation of his free will. Ha 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 ha! Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Sometimes we think that. Sometimes we think, well, if I make my child go to church, it's like a violation of free will. That's control. And guys, listen, it's just not. It's just what you do. It's called, this is what we do as a family as we go. If you'd like to stay home, you're welcome to do all the laundry. But we think we're powerless, and that's what I'm trying to help you. So this isn't a judgment. This is me trying to bring some light to some of the struggles that you might be having. If you're having trouble getting your team to to church, and you're like, well, it's control, or it's this, or it's that. It's like, I want to help you get an up high perspective and go, no, listen. No, listen. It's not. It's not control. It's what you do as a family. Do you make them go to school? It's just what you do. Okay. Anyway. I did include my email right there in case anybody's mad at me. I do prefer, <clears throat> I do prefer an email confrontation than face-to-face It's become apparent to me that I'm not very good at (laughs) face-to-face. 
Okay. Woo. All right. Woo. We're almost done. Okay. So now, I, okay. So now, all right. Parents are off the hook, sort of. Now I'm, wives, listen, I'm going to throw you under the bus. So just give me just one second, okay? <laughs> just because I've thought this thought. <clears throat> it's not my fault that my kids don't know the word. Since my husband is the spiritual leader of the home, it was his job to organize family devotions. Okay, we're going to move on. When my husband fails in that area, anger, resentment, and bitterness are great tools to use against him to motivate him to do that. They are wonderful motivators. Ha, 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 we're going to laugh. Okay. I know, I know. Ooh, this is my favorite one. I tried to do Bible studies with my kids, but all they did was complain and have bad attitudes. I was, like, so surprised by that. Yeah. We can't expect that our kids are going to love when we change, okay? We, they are not, they're not, they're not, they're not going to love it. Okay, so. Whew. All right, we're done. We're done with those. Okay, do we all forgive me? Do you love me? Do you understand that, that this is not a make fun of thing? This really is a thing of going, wow, I didn't know that that thinking was powerless, and it was. I didn't realize that that thinking was rooted in fear, and it was. And so we just go along. We think the thoughts. We do the things. We're moved by the emotion of our kids get putting up a fight or doing this or doing that, and we do what's easiest. We do what gets us out the door. We do what causes us the least amount of pain. Literally the story of my life. What's, what's the path of least resistance? That's what I'm taking. And we do that, and we don't realize that, that, that doing that is fear-motivated. It is absolutely fear-motivated, and it's rooted in powerlessness. So we have just taken like this x-ray of our hearts and the things that are in us that God needs to deal with. And so I'm going to go back to... The Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're going to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And we're not going to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're going to acknowledge him. And he will direct our path. So I'm going back to this thing of acknowledge. When we say, what is the fear of the Lord when it comes to this path that you're directing me in? And what is it in me that doesn't want to obey the fear of the Lord? Is there something in me? Reveal to me what's inside of me. Why am I afraid? Why am I afraid of losing my child's love? Why am I afraid if I set a standard that they'll flip out and move out? You know, whatever it is, we, we're, we're afraid. We're afraid of losing our children's love. And we make these decisions completely based out of fear. And this is heavy stuff. So I do apologize for that, but... How many of you felt some conviction? Okay. We need to take some time and repent. And if you realize that you have, um, and, and again, there's three different areas of people that may, that are things that you may need to repent of. You may have had a bad attitude when you're serving in children's ministry, and that's something that you need to repent of. You may have had powerless thinking when it comes to your kids and how you discipline them or how you parent them. And that's going to take a repentance with the Lord 
and probably a repentance to them. I'm sorry I didn't protect you. I'm sorry that I didn't um, keep you safe from these things. And then <clears throat> when it comes to marital powerlessness, you're probably going to have to repent to your spouse for the blame game and the blame shifting and the anger that we've had towards them. So I want you to just take some time right now, wherever you are, and I want you to just look at it. Just ask the Lord. Just say, okay, Lord, show me. Show me the x-ray of my heart where I have been powerless, where I've thought these powerless thoughts and I've obeyed fear. Tom said at the One Thing conference, there was a prophetic word that said that the Father says, I will not tolerate the dysfunction of my family any longer. I will remove the grace that is covering their weakness. The Lord in this season is removing the grace that covered our longtime sins and is replacing it with grace to overcome them. The dysfunction of our relationships won't be tolerated. It means that sins that we have allowed to exist because of abuses of grace in our lives are being brought to the light so that we can be empowered to overcome them. I believe that a powerless mindset is one of the things that God isn't going to tolerate anymore and he's going to give us the power to overcome. So God, we do confess our sin of a powerless thinking, of not being rooted and grounded in love, for not understanding and knowing that your perfect love casts out fear and that we can make decisions from a place of wholeness in a place of love. So God, we confess our sin for having a bad attitude when it comes to serving in your church, in the house that you've given us. God, we confess our sin and we repent for allowing our own fear and our own woundedness and our own chaos in our lives to begin to hate what you love. And God, we ask you to forgive us for not knowing how to parent this generation. For being so full of our own chaos and our own mess that we haven't taken the time to really look and really ask if these are good decisions that we're making for our kids. So God, we repent for apathy. and laziness, and fear. God, give us the grace to overcome. Give us grace to have a connection with our kids, to be connected, to have our hearts connected so that we can influence them because they love us and not because we control them. Lord, help us to get that shift in our mind and what that means and what that looks like. God, give us strategy on how, how to pull back, how to pull back and, and reset and redo this in your will and in your way as we renew our mind and we change our hearts towards you. And God, I repent on behalf of the wives in the room who have had a bitter heart towards their husbands when it comes to parenting or discipling their kids, 
Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for washing us clean. I thank you for changing our mindsets. Now I realize <clears throat> that kind of today what I did is I stirred you up and told you everything we were doing wrong. And then I was like, okay, see ya. <clears throat> but there's more coming. But it starts with repentance. And it starts with getting the revelation that perfect love casts out fear. And it starts with this process of going, okay, God, what, what's happening inside of my heart? What, what is it that's in my heart that's, that's turned or twisted that doesn't let me obey you? And next week we're going to talk about what it means for the church to be a family and what it means for us to do this together and what it looks like for us as parents. It is my heart. It's my heart that, that, um, that you are equipped on how to parent your kids in this generation that we are clueless about. And it is my heart that parents work together and that we strategize together, and that we look out for each other, and that we share information, and we say, hey, I read this book, and it was amazing. Here, try it. And that we become this family of people who are working together as God begins to pour out his spirit on us, and as we begin to go through the changes that we're going through, that we do it together, and we do it with a mindset that's not full of fear, but we do it when it's full of faith and power and love. And as we, as we navigate together, that um, it's just this brother and sister bonding that we're doing. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is my goal. 